0: episode number 25. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff in another week of the Higher Life Podcast. In this week's podcast, we have the Torah portion of the week, Shoftim. You got to get in to get out. A powerful parable about the filthy jewels. A great story about the Chazanish. And peace in your home. How to create love. Stick around for that one. So now we're in the month of Ella. We're going to be getting ready for Rosh Hashanah with Parshish Shoftim. What does Shoftim say? The first pasuk says like this. Judges and officers... You shall appoint in all your cities. So you have judges, people who judge, and officers, people who, like policemen. You shall appoint in all your cities, which Hashem your God gives to you, to Zalacha, specifically to you, for your tribes. And they shall judge the people with righteous judgment, the next passage says, You shall not pervert judgment, you shall not take notice of someone's presence, and you shall not take a bribe. Why? For the bribe will blind the eyes of the wise and make the righteous words crooked. That's the first two verses in Shoftim. So everyone is bothered by the extra word in the verse. It says, for you. Judges and officials you shall appoint for yourself. What do we need that for? Just say, you will appoint judges and officials. You don't need to say, for you. And we're also going to explain what it means in your gates. So F. Miller from Gateshead wants to explain with the Midrash Rabbah. The Midrash Rabbah says like this, Who are the judges and the officials? Our sages explained, The official should be like a judge, that his deed should serve in place of the rod and the whip, so that the smiter should not himself require punishment. So we see from here that the officer should be like the judge. What does that mean? In the sense that the officer has to make sure what he's doing is correct. And the Matnas kahuna wants to extend this and say that the officer and the judge should be alike. In other words, the judge should be highly self-critical. In other words, he should have like an officer inside of himself. He should focus on his attention, any possible deterioration within himself. This kind of moral self-awareness will serve him instead as the rod of the whip. That the judge shouldn't be punished because of what he's saying should be done. So you see it works in both directions. The judge should be like the police and the police should be like the judge. So all the Bali Musa want to say that means for you, we have to apply this to ourselves. We have to have both an inner judge and an inner officer. Because we have to be like a judge that our decisions and our thinking should be straight and clear. And at the same time, we have to be like the policeman that's really guarding that purity. In other words, making sure that our motives are pure, that we're doing it for the right reason. Because it's only if the officer inside of ourselves make sure that we have pure motives that our thinking will be clear. So we need both aspects, clear thinking and a pure heart, and they work together. Because if one of them is off, we'll come to the wrong conclusions. We'll make the wrong decisions in life. Now, Rav Miller extends this, and he talks about the same kind of idea in our relationship to God. And he uses the shofar as an example. We know we blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah. We also blow the shofar when there's a war. And the shofar in many places is used to represent judgment and justice and din. And on the opposite hand, we know that the shofar, the blowing the shofar, brings rachamim, brings mercy. So if Miller says, how can this one thing, shofar, have two opposites? Make up your mind. Either it's judgment or it's mercy. How can it be both? So the answer is is that judgment can turn into mercy as soon as we repent. In other words, if there is a judgment coming on us from the heaven, if we repent and we change our ways and come back, so it turns it to mercy. On the other hand, if we don't repent and we don't do the right thing and we continue in the wrong way, that judgment will come out to be judgment. So the chauffeur has both aspects. This also plays into the idea of being both the judge and the officer in term of our decisions of how we're going to live our lives. With Simchas explained to the other Balimus who also bring this pasik. Same kind of idea. La das chachma umusir the second Pasik in Mishlei, to know wisdom and discipline. So Rabbeinu explains that wisdom means the actual knowledge, and discipline means understanding in a deep way the ramifications of this knowledge. Chochmah means the wisdom, the understanding of what the Torah is saying. What is the law? What's the fact on the ground? What is it? And Musr means discipline What's going to happen if I live by this law or do not live by the law? What are the ramifications of the law? How's it going to affect me? How's it going to affect others? What is it going to do to society? And now I want to explain how these two things play off each other. How is it that the morality of the law can lead us to a deeper and purer understanding of what the law is and how a deeper and purer understanding are affected by our understanding of the morality of the law? works both ways. I'm going to explain. So the verse said, Judges and officers, you shall appoint in all of your gates. And we know according to the Torah, gates represent different spiritual aspects. I'm going to explain. So there's a famous Gemara in Shabbos in 31b. It says like this, Anyone who learns Torah but who is not God-fearing is like a treasurer who has been given the inner keys but denied the outer keys to the treasury. In other words, if you learn Torah without the fear of God, You've been given the inner keys, but you are been denied the outer keys. Now, obviously, these keys open up gates. But this is a little bit anti-intuitive. Why? Because usually you think of the inner part is the God-fearing part. The inner part is the emotions. The heart, which is related to the fear of God. And the outer part should be the knowledge. Torah itself. We switched it around. It says if you have Torah, you have the keys to the inner part. And without fear of God, you don't have the keys to the outer part. So why is there a switch? So the second verse which I brought explains it, which said, you should not provide judgment, you should not take notice of someone's presence, and you should not take a bribe, for a bribe will blind the eyes of the wise and make the righteous words crooked. Bribery. Bribery comes when receiving pleasure from things, and it actually distorts our thinking process. This is what Yeru Malevi explains. There's a verse in Micha that says, how have I wearied you? Testify against me. He's talking about the mitzvahs. And people are wearied by the mitzvahs. So hard for us. Now wait a second. He says, God's desire is only for the good of mankind. All of his commands expressed express this loving desire. So how is it possible that people feel wearied, that God has to say to them, testify against me? The answer is we're blinded by our material longings and our desires. So what happens? All these tithes, these lusts, all the desires of the physical world, the materialism, starts to affect our perception of reality. In other words, from this perspective, it's the Torah that's in the inside and the fear of God that's on the outside. So if a person has lust and runs after this world, the physical world, what starts to happen is, even though he's been given the key to the inner gate, which is the Torah, but he doesn't have pure Torah. Why? Because he's locked out from the outer gate, which is the fear of God. In other words, his emotion starts to affect his thinking process. His thinking process will become cruel, will become crooked because of his desires. doesn't mean he's not smart, which is what I want to explain. He could be a genius. He could have a pure, clear intellect. But he won't get to the inner essence of Torah, which is what I want to speak about now. Coming to Elo and Yom Adin, we have to come with Torah, Das Torah, which means the Jewish mind, which is not pure intellect and it's not pure emotions. It's the combination of both those things which leads to a synthesis a gestalt, where two things make a third thing that's greater, which is the Torah itself, the real understanding of Torah, which is what the Pasuk in Mishle was saying, to understand chokhmah, wisdom, and musr, and discipline. At that point, a person will start to have das Torah. Rav Elchanan Wasserman said like this, All of us have das Torah to a certain degree. Some perhaps 50%, others 15%. And the rest of the person's mind is not Das Torah, but perhaps a business mind or his wife's or children's opinion or some other type of understanding. Das Torah of 100% is only found among the Gedoli Torah, the great people of Torah, who have cast off the vanities of this world and are loyal to the Torah perspective. Whereas Das Torah is not an easy thing to get to. But Das Torah is the real relationship with Hashem. It's the real decision-making mechanism that we want to reach. We want to get to all have Das Torah. We want to have Das Torah to make the right decisions in life, to relate to people in the right way, to do the right thing. We need Das Torah. But it's a very, very deep thing. I'm going to read to you what it says here in Shire Das. He brings the Gemara and Moed Katan where it says, we just had in Dafyomi, Yomi, le- Rashi explained these are called wise men. The men of that are able to understand form. The men that can comprehend form. He says like this. That is because the prime greatness of man is the ability to understand and comprehend the form of wisdom. Men of form, thus, is referring to the ability to see form or concept, not just the ideas, not just the data. This is true not only in knowledge, but concerning faith. you got to get this. This is unbelievable. They are deeper and more profound, as well as clearer than those who do not grasp the concept or form in all matters. The faith of those who fail to grasp the concept are much more shallow, and their faith does not reside in their soul. It says in Hebrew, look what he says here. Ma'izra'chut Doesn't reside in their soul. In other words, you can have faith. But where's the faith coming? Is it an emotional faith? Is it an intellectual faith? Or is it a das Torah faith? It's a faith that comes from the combination of clear thinking and purity of heart. That combination leads to a gestalt, a new level of faith he says this is because they can conceive form. In other words, they conceptualize it. The form, which is the soul of the Torah, simply cannot be conveyed adequately merely words. It manifests itself through the entire being, expressed in the emotions, the body moments, the facial expressions. If you've ever met a Tamachacham, he's a different Bria, he's a different creation. In other words, he's using his intellect, and he's using his heart, and he's using them together to go to higher and higher levels where he gets to the level of Das Torah, The real Jewish mind, the being who's relating to God in the real way, not the way that most of the world, the majority of the world, the majority of Jews are relating to God. Most of them are either on one side of the coin. They're they're into emotionalism, and their faith and their beliefs and their system of decision-making is based on emotions. Or you have nerds. Guys are totally intellectual, but where's their heart? Either of those things is not Das Torah. That's not what God, that's not what a Jew is supposed to look like. Unfortunately, nowadays, it's so rare that people don't appreciate what Judaism is. Because they don't bump into these time they come like they used to. One time I had a Rebbe say to me, he said, listen, Judaism is not the Boy Scout. What do you mean by that? Not the Boy Scout, It's not goody-goody. That's what it means to be a Jew. Which means emotionalism. I'm just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Everything is right. Goody-two-shoes. On the other hand, like I said, it can't be a total nerd, purely intellectual. It has to be Das Torah, and this is the tshuva that we have to do before Rosh Hashanah. This is how we have to come close to God. If we're more emotional, we have to become more intellectual. If more intellectual, we have to become more emotional. We have to show up to God with shlemus, completeness, wholeness. And these are the gates that the pasuk was talking about: the gate of the emotions or the gate of the intellect. But it has to be both. In other words, you have to be both a judge and an official and a policeman. A judge in terms of the intellect, and a policeman in terms of the emotional aspect, to make sure we're pure. It's das, chokma u musr, to understand chokma wisdom, and musr, discipline. The Ramban in Vaikra 19.2 explains that, God forbid, a person could be a manuva a Torah. He could be in looing all the halachas of the Torah, but be disgusting. He says there, what does he mean to be holy? Basically, it means you have to show me yourself, guard yourself and not eat foods that are not kosher, sexual relationships that are not kosher. But a person could wind up being a glutton eating kosher food. Or he could wind up being with his wife every night, which is not acceptable. So without the shlamus, without the completeness of the understanding, he could wind up being a villain within the domain of the Torah. And we come on Rosh Hashanah before God, we want to come with shlamus completeness. I want to end off with what the Alter McKelm says in Chochmah Musser. He says an unbelievable thing. Look at this. You got to hear this. Why do we say in the Shmona Esrei, the daily prayers, Elokeinu, our God, V'eleke and the God of our fathers? Why do we need both? Say our God or the God of the fathers. Why do you need both? It's a great kasha. So he says there's two kinds of people that believe in God. So there's one person who believes in God because he's just going in the footsteps of his fathers. So he has a strong faith. It's true. He has tradition for thousands of years is what we did at Jews and he's following along. And the other type of person is a person who is working from an intellectual perspective. He learns Torah and he understands his faith, it makes sense. The Torah is so deep, how could it be that it's human, it must be godly. So he says the first one, he has a strength in a sense, you can't persuade him. He's going according to the faith of his fathers, he's Rosh Bakir, it's got his head to the wall. And you're not going to move that guy. But uh, the downside of that, he's just doing it out of a habit. And in a certain sense, he doesn't have any inherent personal meaning to him. On the other hand, the independent thinker, the guy who's thought it out, it's very personal to him. He has faith that's very personal, strong faith. But he's open for refutation because as he's working on an intellectual level, people can refute him and knock him out. He can wind up going off the derech and leaving the Torah. Therefore, the ultimate account wants to say, you have to have both. You have to have... Our God and the God of our forefathers. That means that why a person should learn from tradition what is true, he should also investigate to understand what these truths are. This is the proper approach to faith. This is unbelievable. Our God. Our God because we thought it out and it's really ours. And the God of our fathers because we're following it because it's a tradition. This is where our faith should come from. And this is Das Torah. We're not just talking about intellectual things. We're talking about living how we live, how we wake up in the morning, how we relate to people, how we do the mitzvahs, what are we doing with our lives? It's the faith in the sense that how do we relate to God? How do we relate to reality? It has to have both these aspects. And this is how we have to come before God and Rosh Hashanah as both a judge and an officer with wisdom and musr and discipline with Torah, understanding the halacha and the fear of God with the inner and the outer, with the intellect and the emotions. Not just a boy scout and not a nerd. We have to come as a human being. We have to come with the whole as the whole person. And this is the tshuva. Whatever we're weak in, we have to work on. And this is what the verse is telling us for the month of Elul as a preparation for Rosh Hashanah. So the Chafetz Chaim brings a parable like this. He says in morning prayers, we say like this. Every morning before Shema, we say, and unify our heart to love and revere thy name. In other words, let our heart be filled with one particular love, the love of God. To focus on one love, and that's the love of God. John Leomani says is filled with all kinds of loves and affection for his father, his mother, his wife, his children, the world, all kinds of things, to all kinds of desires. And it's all mingled up together. But really, a person should focus on his love of God and drop everything else. So he wants to bring a parable to explain that. So one time there was a rich man who wanted to go on a long journey. And he told this worker to please guard his property. But he said, there's this one room I really want you to guard very well. Keep your eye on that. And he left. So the worker got curious he started to say, Hey, what's in that room? We look for the keys. He went through the places, he found the keys, and he sees inside there boxes. He sees a couple locked up trunks he wants to check out, finds the keys for those, opens them up, and it's unbelievable inside is gold and jewels, beautiful things. But as he looks at it, he starts to notice that there's dirt in, in the box and mud, and the jewels are all, half of them are all covered up with dirt and mud. doesn't understand what's going on here. This guy, he puts in the box with his jewels and his gold. Mud? He himself tells me to guard this place with my life. And then he puts mud in the boxes with the jewels. I don't get it. So the Chavetz Chaim explains that when a man goes to heaven, he's judged on all the different limbs of his body. What sin, what mitzvah he did with his hand, with his arm, with his leg, his foot. But the most important thing that he's judged is his heart. The heart is like the silver and the gold and the jewels. That's going to be judged. So what does the heavenly core find in a man's heart? Dirt, mud, filth. Together with the love of God. What a combino. What a combination. It's a jewel. It's true. He loves God. But he also loves his wife and his kids and his things. He also loves everything. So can you imagine the embarrassment that he has that he didn't love his wife and his kids and, his, and people for the right reasons. For his own personal reasons he loved them. And that's what we pray every morning. Let our singular, our deepest love be the love of God. And there should be no love, no other love. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. So I want to tell a couple stories about the Chazanish. We know that the Chazanish was famous for his medical knowledge, but he never opened up a medical book, so how can that be? So they said day after day, people would come to his house and ask the Chazanish whether he should have surgery, not have surgery. His wife used to joke, he said, when I married him, I thought he was one day, he would become a Rav. Now I see he's more like a physician. And Rev Isser Zalman Melser, the God of Ador, said about him, his medical advice is on target 100% of the time. He was a medical whiz, and he knew all the doctors and their strengths and weaknesses of very Israel. He said, Rev Granerman used to say, the Kazanish would send one guy for a diagnostic, and the, other, the same guy he would send him to, for administration to a different doctor, because he knew each doctor's strength. So one time he contradicted the opinion of a very prominent doctor. And at the physician's conference, this doctor mentioned, I understand how these religious people, they're not listening to our advice, they're listening to the words of the rabbis over the knowledge of experts. It happened to be one of the doctors in the audience spoke to the chazanish on that exact case. And it came out that that doctor brought out that the chazanish was right and the doctor who was complaining was wrong. He used to map out, they still have his papers on surgical procedures for a complex heart operation. The doctors themselves, says Dr. Ashkenazi, used to go to the Chazanish to ask whether they should operate. So the Chazanish said back to him, what exactly is your suffolk? What's your doubt? He explained him the doubt exactly. And then the doctor was able to make the right decision. But the doctors said, take note of how the Chazanish summarized the various angles of the case in a few concise stent- sentences. Any of us would have needed pages to write what he expressed so succinctly. So the one time they asked Rev. Diskin, how can it be that the Chazanish knows so much about medicine? So he quoted the Perk Yahweh, it says, Whoever studies Torah Lishma merits many things. Rev. Diskin explained, the Chazanish never read medical literature. He never read secular literature. He never entered a medical library. He never went into the laboratories. It was all God-given. See, when a person totally applies himself to learning, God opens up the gates of wisdom. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. I just want to say over a summary of Rav Nachman Dynamite's second chapter here. He is an expert in shalom bias and peace in the home. One time a couple came to him, a father came to him. He says, I have no inner peace. I realize I can't stand my third son. How could I live with myself knowing that I don't love my own son? So he said to him, just keep giving to him as much as you can. So for a while there, he started to give to him. And he started to see, wow, he came back a couple weeks later and spoke to the Rav. He said, you know what? I, I don't love him completely, but it's not like I can't stand him before I couldn't stand him. So he said, very good. So what happened? Happens to be a couple of weeks later, that same child, they found out that had leukemia. Then he spent months and months with the child, helping the child with drugs and treatments. In the end, the child recovered and Today, the person says, I have such a special love for that child. So the Rav said, he said to the father, that's called the blessing and the curse. So how does this work? How do you get true love? Where does love come from? What's true love and what's false love? Somehow when it comes to their kids, usually most people don't say, I don't really love my child. But when it comes to their wife or their husband, they say, I don't really love them. The answer is that most people give to their children what they may not give to their spouse. We know the Rev. Desler says that love is a direct result of giving. Even if a person would paint a picture and work on it for months, if he had to give it away or sell it, he would feel bad because he invested in it. He said the secular view of falling of it is totally false. It's really just self-love. As you see, after three or four or six months or a year of marriage, things start to thin out. It's only if the couple actually give to each other that the love continues and builds. One time, one of the rabbis asked one of the students, "Was eating fish?" So he says, "Do you love fish?" Yeah. He says, "Yeah, I love fish." So he says, "Why don't you build him an aquarium, give him food and drink?" He says, "No, you don't love fish. You love yourself, and the fish taste delicious." So some people might say, "So what's the difference? I love myself. I love the fish. I love my wife. I love myself." The answer to the ego is there. The essential thing is that love is there. The answer is if it's just self-love, in the end, a new love will come, which will destroy the old love. I want to explain. So he has a story. He said, one time, a chasson's good friend said he wanted to tell the wife what to make his best friend, his roommate, for dinner. You know what? Make him schnitzel and tomato sauce. He loves it. It was true. So she made it for him, and he was all happy. And then she made it for him again. And then she made it for him again. And then she made it for him again. (laughs) And then she made it for him again. So he said, listen, I don't want schnitzel and tomato sauce anymore. So what happened? He loved schnitzel and tomato sauce. The answer is, it doesn't help you. You have to constantly renew. If, if it's self-love, it has to be constantly renewed. The, t- the nature of man, he wants Kadushi, He wants new things. So now he wants to eat something different. Hot dogs. I don't know what. So he says the same thing with people. Even when the first couple are they're in love and they first get married. So he says, sometimes they start walking arm in arm. Then they go hand in hand. Then they go finger in finger. Then they go head to head. So how do you keep the love going for 70 years? How do you do that? And how do you stop the person's faults that you see as time goes by from ruining the marriage? So you have to have motivation for love. When there is a motivation to love, the love will surely fall. Even strong love. For example, before a baby's born, you don't know who the baby is. You don't know if it's going to be a boy. You don't know if it's a girl. But you know you're going to love it. You're motivated to love that child. No matter what, you're going to love that child. You know why? Because you are going to give to that child. And When you give to that child, you're going to come to love him. He says, sometimes, you gave an example like this, sometimes the army sends out two guys or a group of guys to get back from the middle of the desert, and the two guys hate each other to begin with. In the end, they become best friends. Why? Because they were forced to cooperate with each other. They were forced to love each other. They were forced to get along. They had no choice. Same thing with business partners. It doesn't make sense that two business partners can stay in business for so many years together. And they have different meetups and different things. The answer is that they're making a lot of money. They're making millions of dollars. So they learn to get along. So the same thing is in marriage. You have kids. You have a whole history. You have a whole life together. If you're motivated to love, you will come to love. Which means what? You'll come to give to each other. If you give, you will love. And you have to know that rule. If you know that rule, you could fix up any marriage. Just start giving to each other. And do it because you need each other. Do it because you want to stay together. Get motivated and start giving to your spouse. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.